everybody, this is JP Ross, and welcome back to In The Scene Podcast. Today we're going to take a little twist, and we're going to talk a little bit about conservation, something that I hold very near and dear to my heart, because I founded a organization called Trout Power. And today we are going to talk to uh, the current president of Trout Power and also the um, chair of the Outreach Committee. Uh, so we've got Chris Murphy and Ryan Macker here. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Trout Power, if you don't mind. Um, it was something that uh, I started, but it was certainly a group effort. We started about uh, 10 years ago. And the initial goal was to try to understand one of our rivers nearby here called the West Canada Creek. And there are a lot of erratic flows on that river uh, that are managed by two dams. And uh, we knew that the FERC license was coming up on that. Uh, the Federal uh, Energy Regulatory Commission, and when those licenses come up, you have to react quick. So we wanted to get a lot of awareness to the fact that the flows in the river were erratic, and also that we had never really seen a lot of small fish in the river there, and we were curious if maybe um, the erratic flows were, were an issue with spawning fish. Well, the story goes on from there, and we did a couple uh, creel studies and learned uh, that the fish population in there almost exactly resembled what was being stocked. So uh, needless to say, we put a lot of eyes on the fact that the FERC license is coming up, and now both the DEC, the town government, and Trout Unlimited are all active in trying to change some of those flows so that it is beneficial for the river of the West Canada Creek. Um, so we pivoted as Trout Power... Uh, moved on and we focused on brook trout in the Adirondacks and one of the things that was happening was we were catching a lot more fish in the Adirondacks a lot more brook trout and um, acid levels had been reduced a lot and that was a great testament to humans and mankind that we, the Clean Air Act actually was helping out and uh, we wanted to try to document this and understand what was going on so the eternal question was are these fish wild, native? What's the difference between wild and native? And we thought that the way to answer that question was through genetics. And it was uh, a big leap for a citizen science group to do genetics. But hey, that's what you do. You try to change the world and do things different and set the example. So that's what we did. We set up shop and uh, we started to do some fin clipping and understand what the protocols were to fin clip trout uh you really only need if you can detect a tissue sample in the vial of alcohol um ether uh, then you can you can detect uh dna so we worked very close with the new york state museum and spencer bruce is our partner and so is cornell and dr keith tidball and oh man there's a story it goes on and on in regards to the people that have helped us out but the point was is that we began to uh establish a beachhead so to speak and to and to begin to do citizen science to determine if these fish that were being caught in different areas were genetically unique. And that was important because anglers cared about that. And uh, it also told us whether or not the ecosystem had uh, lived. And there were some situations where certain strains of brook trout in the Adirondacks were extirpated. Um, we did a podcast about how moose were driven to extinction and the same thing has happened with brook trout but what we found and what has been found through a lot of different science uh, is that some of these habitats allowed these fish to go into these cold water clean refuge areas and live and, and live and be very small and live and then when the conditions changed they left these refuge areas and went back into the rivers and began to grow and rebound and the populations grew. So what we did was we used microsatellite genetic analysis, which is not really a simplified version of genetics, but it is a way that's easier to understand. And we were able to very, very easily detect whether the DNA, uh, the a portion of the DNA was genetics from stocking or unique genetics that were a strain that was already known or really unique genetics in which it was a strain that was not known. So when this whole thing started, there were 12 or so known heritage strains in the Adirondacks of New York. Um, a few of them were known to be extinct. Well, many years later, here we are staring at about 80 different strains that are known in New York, thanks to the work that collectively a lot of these anglers have done. So 
Um, I'm really proud of this. I'm glad that the organization has lived on. I'm happy to that I'm no longer president and passed it on to see what is going to happen and how the organization is going to go where it wants to go. And, um, and that's great. It is hard right now, though, with COVID and, and trying to do any genetic work. So we, we are raising funds and um, still collecting tissue samples, looking for other places to, um, to go check. And um, we are honing our skills. We're, we are sharing our information and working with the DEC. And uh, it's been a great, great, great story. So we're going to talk to some of the guys from Trout Power, the newer generation of Trout Power, not an old fuddy-duddy like me. And um, and understand what it feels like to be part of that group and why they joined and what the group is like. And I hope uh, it's an inspiration to everybody listening to the podcast. So here goes. So I'm J.P. Ross, and welcome to In the Seam, and I am welcoming Ryan Mackerer and Chris Murphy. Welcome, guys. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having us. Hey. Yeah, thanks for having us, J.P. So it's been a while since I've had a threesome on the podcast, so this is nice for the new year. Thank you. I couldn't, yeah. pick, a, couldn't pick a better crew. Happy to um, be here. So uh, you guys, the way I've been doing this is, you know, everybody kind of loosens up, you know, and they tell a little bit about themselves. Chris, you've been on a podcast with me already. Ryan, have you been on one yet? Have you been on a podcast yet? This is my first one. Really? Okay. Well, so this is kind of like an amped up version of any meeting you would have with Tim Bonaparte. So it's going to be, it's going to be pretty, pretty intense. Okay. Cool. Cool. (laughs) I'm just kidding. This is, it's a lot of fun. So I'd like to start actually with Ryan to do a little bit of a Reader's Digest version of yourself. This is all about you, not trout power, just who you are, fishing. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm, my name is Ryan Macker. I, uh, I grew up in a kind of a rural area. I grew up doing a lot of outdoor activities, hunting, and a little, a little bit of fishing. But, you know, the fishing really never stuck stuck to me. I, um, what really got me interested in, in fishing and particularly fly fishing was when I was in college, I, uh, on a whim, uh, went to the SUNY ESF Trout Bums Fly Fishing Club meeting with a friend of mine because there was free pizza there. Um, so that suckered me in. And then the next thing I know, I'm heavily involved in the club. I served as a treasurer and then eventually was the president my senior year of the club. So my love of fly fishing kind of exploded quickly um, and that's kind of how I got into it. And then I graduated from, from ESF. I didn't really have a club. I just heavily fished with friends and, you know, I, I moved to, you know, Chittango, New York, which is, uh, with the, the well-known Chittango Creek right down the road from me, just so I could fish all the time. Um, and then I was introduced to trout power, uh, via Tim Bonaparte, a fellow board member. And, uh, he said, come on, it'll be a great time. And, uh, you know, made fast friends with, with Jordan and Chris and everyone else in the Trout Power group. They welcomed me right in. And it was, it was after the first day, it was like, a, like I knew everybody forever. Um, so it was, it was a great group and community to join in on. Um, not to mention that we get to chase Adirondack brook trout in the backcountry. And, and in addition to doing some citizen science work. Cool. It's a great, it's a terrific story. I didn't know that about, uh, so you're, you're, you're a born leader from, from your college days. So that's good. So, and your position that you hold right now at Trout Power is what? Currently I'm on a, I'm a board member of Trout Power as well as I serve on the missions committee and as well as chair the outreach and education committee. Awesome. And the fundraising committee. (laughs) <laughs> and yep uh, and, and newly yeah newly added to the fundraising committee oh, that's cool. from the outreach so awesome and you can you can i'm the uh person behind the trout power social media pages so if you ever interacted with the trout power social media that's me behind it awesome so ryan do you want to give it... unmask myself <laughs> yeah that's great give a quick plug in regards to how people can get a hold of you at facebook instagram and uh website and all that stuff please yeah so you can keep up with with trout power real easily um you can find us at trout power org um 
uh, for our website. And then our Instagram handle is trout power org. And then on Facebook, just search trout power. And awesome. you, you'll know it's us with our, our green and gold logo. Right. So we do have, we do have a little bit of an iconic uh, symbolism in our logo, which is that DNA strand, which we're going to get to uh, a little bit longer into this podcast, but yeah. So Chris Murphy, same thing. Yes, sir. Give me the All story. Right. All right. I'll, I'll give you the story. Um, so uh, my name is uh, Chris Murphy and uh, I am currently the uh, president of, of Trout Power, following in the, the footsteps of our of our host here, which is uh, which is quite a pleasure. And um, so, a uh, quick kind of rundown about myself: uh, I'm originally from upstate New York. Uh, bounced around a little bit when I was a kid, uh, as my my dad kind of my dad's a doctor, and following him as he went through the early stages of his career, um, moved down to San Antonio, Texas, and then uh, moved back up to New York, which is where I spent most of my uh, my childhood and my uh, movement into adulthood. Um, during that time in Syracuse, uh, spent many weekend and a lot of time in the summer um, going up to the Adirondacks and uh, fishing, uh, admittedly spin fishing when I was younger. And then I think the first time that I casted a fly rod, I think I was probably eight, nine, 10 years old, something like that. And that's when I kind of started to transition into that world. And um, and just have, have always loved it and have always loved fishing of all sorts. But the place that I always got the most thrills uh was being on a small stream and um just fishing for small trout and i would draw pictures of them when i was a kid and uh just it was just my absolute favorite thing to do amongst other other hobbies and uh currently a high school science teacher up in uh vermont up in the northeast corner of the state that we refer to as the northeast kingdom and uh so that's uh that's where i'm at now and have the joy of uh spending my my work season here and then in the off season spending that in the Adirondacks. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a pretty good life to it's say awesome. the least. Well, Indeed. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. So Ryan told us a little bit that he, you know, he was influenced by a, um, a member now board member. We'll mention Tim Bonaparte for the third time. That'll, he'll appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but Chris, your story yeah. a little different. Um, hearing about trial power and joining it and stuff like that. Yes. What's, your, what's your, what's your deal here? So in terms of, of trap power, uh, my uh, grandfather uh, who's been going to the Adirondacks for a, a really long time um, and has a lot of history there as does a lot of our family. Um, he has always had an interest in some of the great camps and um, you know, great camps are one of the really neat pieces of history about the Adirondacks and uh, he was on um, some email chains and uh, got an email from one of the great camps kind of talking about this trout power event and sent it to me and said, hey, you know, kind of check this out. And it clicked in my brain because I said, you know what, I've, I've, seen, I've seen something about this. Um, and I was trying to think of where and I remembered, oh, that's right. Uh, I saw it on that, that website of that guy who makes fly rods down outside of Utica. And uh, I had found uh, the J.P. Ross website, oh boy, years in advance to that and was reading about these fly rods that were specially designed for Adirondack small stream fishing. And, and it said, you know, I want to get, I want to get good at, at fly fishing. So when I'm, you know, or not good, decent enough, I'll get one of these fly rods. So uh, I, I realized, oh, it's okay. So J.P. Ross is connected to Trout Power somehow. And uh, I called my dad and I said, you know, I think this would be fun. We should sign up and you know, check this out and see what it's all about. And we did. And my grandfather was able to join us. So it was really cool to have three generations of Murphy who's, uh, of Murphy's who all, you know, fish and have enjoyed fishing as one of their main passions. And, um, you know, we were welcomed in with, with open arms and, uh, it was just a, a fantastic weekend. And, uh, my dad and I still often talk about it. And, uh, we caught a, we caught a good number of fish and clipped a lot of fish, which I don't think hurt our cause. And, um, <laughs> And, no. uh, to, and, and honestly, to say the least, I, I mean, for, for myself, um, in terms of, you know, the area that we fished in and the people that I met, um, that was a, a life-changing weekend for me. And um, here I am. That was, that was the spring of 2017, you know, less than four years ago. And um, now, uh, you know, some of those people I met this weekend are some of my very best friends. So I, I feel very lucky about that. And uh, really, really a definition of a, of a life-changing experience for me. So um that's that's how i got into it 
and uh, I was secretary last year for the organization. And um, like I said, uh, this year, uh, president, which is, which is really an honor. Well, that's, that's awesome. It's an awesome story. I think that um, it's cool that you guys have a family connection to the first time that you were um, part of Trout Power. And I want to go back to Ryan for a second, because there seems to be this common denominator in regards to the events that uh, that we do at Trout Power. And I'm kind of like in the middle here, right? Like I'm founder, but I'm also the host. So I'm going to act like I'm just, you know, leading the witness a little bit. But Ryan, <laughs> there is there there is this common. It's funny because we do uh, genetic work on fish and we're going to get to that in a second. But oddly enough, it seems as though there's a common genome or something like that in regards to the people that get involved with the organization what's up with that you want to you want to explain that yeah Maybe. i think that the, the, there's got to be something I, I, you know i think part of it is you know when you, when you you break it down to the core of you know what we're doing you know we are we're going rod in hand backpack pack with our pbjs and we're hiking out bushwhacking mostly these little tiny trickles of streams sometimes to catch you know six inch fish we might be hiking out miles to do that and you know some people are in, in it are, are fishermen and, and in it for catching large fish big fish but i think i think there's i think there's something with a, a brook trout fisherman specifically an adirondack brook trout fisherman that that you know we all share, you know, the similar mindedness that we're not, we're not all out there just for the fish. It's kind of like an escape and to be, you know, part of that, the wildness that's the Adirondacks. But yeah, the, the community that, uh, that, you know, when I walked into Great Camp Sagamore that, <clears throat> that first weekend, um, it was, you know, like I said, within the first day, you know, I, I felt like it was just a bunch of my buddies. I felt like I was, you know, hanging out with the, with the trout bums, like I was back in college again. I mm -hmm. was very like-minded people. Yeah. So stories have a lot to do with it. And again, trying, you know, I want to try to tie some of this together because I will say that I think that your answer is spot on because when I see you guys come back to a rendezvous point, the stories are seldom, if ever, what was the biggest fish you got? The stories are usually something else. What did you see? What was it like? You know, do you have pictures of what the trees look like and stuff like that? Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to stay on you for a second, Ryan, because I did want to have you tell the story and I, I the spot will be uh, remain unnamed. But there is a backcountry place that that we have gone to. And I believe that you kind of have this spiritual connection to that. You're a hunter and I followed you enough to know that you, you appreciate animals and uh, love to hunt. And I think you have a connection to going back way back. And we're talking, well, you can tell everybody how far back and what it's like. There's this place that we go back to that we keep on visiting and we're trying to get more data on it. Tell us a story about that place. Well, this, uh, you know, it, I was, the, the you know the board member who brought me in he told me about this place so it it, it was built up and and you know he told me stories he's telling me you know you got to get back here you got to go fish this water it's 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 like a whole other world and and i think it i think it lived up to that and um that was my first trout power weekend was hiking back i think it was three miles out i believe two or three miles out um to where by, we were going by to. trail right ryan i mean there's a trail yeah. to get there right tell <laughs> no, us about no, it no no trail so you know, we, we followed the trail uh for probably i don't know a half mile maybe and then um we looked at our gps and said all right boys here's where we gotta go and, it, and we started bushwhacking and you know it, it the first the first part you know it was your normal you know adirondack bushwhacking but then you know little did we know that that our direction out was going to take us through spruce trap after spruce trap after spruce trap. And, um, and that, that, you know, it takes a lot out of you, especially early in the morning getting out there, but it's, but then, you know, I, I'll never forget when, when we finally came up out of this last spruce trap, that was this ungodly thing. 
and we crested over this hill, this little ridge, and it looked down into the stream, and it was the most beautiful, like, mountainous stream that you'll ever see, and it was, it was one of the most wild places in, in the true meaning of the word that I'd ever been to, um, and it, it was, it was, it was quite the, quite the spot to be. Yeah, so, um, what we're beginning to, to talk about is this, uh, experience that happens when you're, when you're in the woods, right? And, and I'm going to, this is the way I'm going to explain it. If you've ever been in your house in the middle of the night and the power goes out, you think, you know, your house, but all of a sudden you have to use your other senses to try to understand how to navigate. But there's a familiarity, right? You're, you feel safe because you know you're in your house, but it's dark. And bushwhacking in any place, but I will say for me, I have the context of the Adirondacks and I have gone with you guys that, yes, the first time or maybe the second time or even third time you try to bushwhack, it's a little scary because you're spending so much time trying to get somewhere and you run into these spruce traps, but then you're calm because you know, you're kind of like in God's hands and you're in a place that's okay. That's okay. I, either one of you guys could talk about this, but you both have gone in there enough now that you have now realized that when the power goes out, you can take your socks off and feel that board with the knot in it and know that you're halfway to the kitchen and you've never used those senses before. So going back to these places, you both have done this because Chris, I was with you this, this season and we went back to a place that you had gone to five or six times. Whoever wants to talk about it, and I know we're not necessarily talking about trout power, but we'll get there. Um, what's it? I don't know if you guys have that much experience bushwhacking or if like that uh, baptism by fire, so to speak, launched you into bushwhacking in the woods because it's thick back there. It is thick. What's it like from the, from, you know, the first time the lights go out to, the sixth or seventh time the lights go out when you're bushwhacking. Tell me, Chris, you um, got this one. Yeah, I'll, I'll start here and then I'll, I'll throw it over to, to Ryan afterwards. Um, but I, I think I, I like your analogy and, and I think that it's, um, I think it's true. And I think one thing about, you know, exploring and, and getting out into nature is that um, even when you do have that from, you know, familiar place, um, there's, there's still always, you know, you can always go a little bit further, right? That's one thing that I've always really enjoyed about stream or river fishing um, in combo with, you know, being in, in nature is that, you know, you can, you can go real far. And then whenever I get to that point where I, where I have to turn around, there's always that, you know, man, I just, I wonder, I wonder what's, you know, like right around that next bend, it could be the most beautiful pool that I've, I've ever seen, you know, or it could be a water, you know, who knows. And, and that mystery kind of brings you back. And, um, you know, one thing I think that we do a lot in the, um, you know, in trout power that, you know, I had done before and, and continue to do, but we work into trout power in our missions is the, you know, idea of finding a place on a map um, and saying, this is where we need to go, you know, or this is our goal. And uh, one of the great things about it, one of the adventures is that, yeah, you know, it's to go off your analysis, Jordan, you know, or your analogy, pardon, like with the house right? You can look at a floor plan, but until you actually get inside a house, you don't really know what it looks like, right? So you can look at a place on a map and, uh, and say, okay, I, you know, you read the lines and you're looking for, um, you know, this, this place. And then you actually go there and you're like, oh, so this is what it actually looks like, you know? And that's, and that's, that's quite a thrill. And then we, we've been lucky that a lot of times when we've done that, there've been fish there. And um, so it's, it's just as an experience, you know, whether you're a fisherman or whether, you know, this place, this place and other places we've gone to, um, you know, you could take anyone back there, whether they're a fisherman, a fly fisherman or not. And they would have just enjoyed the, you know, the peace and the quiet and the serenity. And, um, you know, especially today when you can be in a, in a place and, and it's just you. And, uh, that's a, um, you can, you can learn a lot about yourself in the woods, especially if you're on your own or just with one or two other people. And, uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just a, that, that adventure piece to it is, is definitely that, you know, and every time you go, it can be different. You can go to the same place, um, five times, five days in a row and every single day, it's going to be different, whether it's the yeah. weather or the fishing or the nature you see. Um, and I think for outdoorsmen, I think, you know, I think that's part of the thrill of it 
is that you never, you know, if you knew I'm going here, I know what it's going to be like. I know I'm going to catch eight fish today. I know what they're going to take. Um, I don't know. I think that mystery is part of the romance of, of, you know, what we do as outdoorsmen. So uh, to me, that's, that's one of the big pulls. Ryan, you, I can, I'll remind you of kind of what I'm asking with, an, with maybe another question is, what's it feel like when you bushwhack into this place and then you have another adventure and you bushwhack back to it and you see it again, maybe in a different season, you know, is it like an old friend? Tell me, tell me what that's like. Yeah. It, I, I like definitely an old friend, I think for sure, because you know, the, the very first time we went back to this particular place, it was, it was mid spring or so and there were there were heavy rainfall so the the water was was very high and it was this you know raging raging small stream i guess but it, it was like a little raging river at the time um and you know the foliage hasn't wasn't fully uh filled out and and you know it was we, we had one vision of it at, at that time and it was beautiful then but then going back to it and, and fishing the same water and walking practically almost the same trail back in the fall. Um, it, 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 I believe it was later that year um, after the first time we went out, it, it was, it was like seeing an old friend. You, you kind of, we started building this familiarity with the place and, it, and you, know, you didn't feel like you were that far out because you knew, you know, oh, there's that big, big boulder. Oh, there's there's brook trout underneath that that blow down there, and like, oh, look at how it's changed. And you know, especially seeing it with with regular water flows, I'm almost like, wow, this is this is this is what it is. Um, cool. So I I think I actually believe that this is part of what retains you guys as being part of the organization because of the. You know, there's the drug of the tug, so to speak, but I don't know what you're going to call it in regards to the adventure of, of seeking, uh, but that is kind of fun. I'm going to switch gears for a second, and I'm going to talk a little bit about genetics. And again, I'm going to touch, I'm going to get into feelings. I don't know. I, I never really cared about feelings until I hit my 40s. I don't know what, I don't know what the deal is, but you guys will get there because you're both younger than me, or maybe you won't, but I have. So I'm curious to know, you know, we do genetics. We're a citizen science group that does genetics on fish. So I'm going to bump over to Chris because you, you know, you are a science teacher and stuff and very technically savvy, but what's it, what's it like doing genetics on an animal? And, you know, you're part of this organization. You're just, a, it's just a bunch of fishermen and, and you're doing like some pretty serious science. You're not just like, you know, recording what the temperature is outside you're doing genetic work what's it like yeah i think it's um you know that's one of the things i think that for me selfishly piqued my uh interest in the group is that it combines two of the things that i really enjoy fishing being a passion and you know as you said i'm a science teacher and uh, a life science environment teacher so um this really combined two things that you know uh that i i enjoy and enjoy spending time doing and um i think it's really neat to see you know, how, and not only see, but be a part of real life science um, and not in the context that, oh, I'm a scientist or, you know, this is a paid, I'm paid by an institution or a university or, you know, we're, uh, we're volunteers, we're citizen scientists. So we have the ability to take our free time and, and do this scientific work and the scientific process. Um, and I think that it, you know, I think especially the genetic work you know, you were, you were just talking about part of what comes, you know, brings us back. And it's certainly the places and, and the adventures and the mystery of it. But part of that mystery is not, um, you know, it's kind of a scaffolded list, right? So it starts with where are we going to go? And then you know where you're going to go. And it's like, okay, I wonder if they're going to be fish there. And then there are fish there. So then it's that next level, you know, what, what are they? You know, oh, they're brook trout, which is what we've, you know, what we focused our, our work on. Um, so now it's okay. So now we've got brook trout, which we were looking for. Now, we can learn, you know, even more about those brook trout. And, um, you know, that's exciting. That's really, really exciting. I, I remember, you know, how pumped I was to, you know, hear about some of our, you know, some of our results that we've had and some of our, um, 
you know, success stories that we've had in terms of identifying fish that, you know, hadn't yet by, been identified in terms of their genetics. And um, so to be able to be involved in that work uh, is, is a really unique opportunity. And, you know, like I said, I know there's a lot of people out there who do genetic work, but they're usually geneticists. They're usually in that field or in that industry. And, you know, um, we have people with multiple talents and expertises in this organization, but, you know, we're, we're fishermen who are, who are doing the citizen science work. And I think that it's a, uh, in terms of uniqueness, um, it's extremely unique. And uh, I, I think that it just adds a whole nother dimension to, you know, being fly fishermen. You know, you can see mm -hmm. a fly fisherman and talk for hours about fly fishing. And this just adds in that, that next piece. Um, so it's, it's really unique work. And uh, it's a really unique opportunity to, you know, combine interests such as fishing and real life science. How about you, Ryan, talking about doing genetic work? What's it like? Yeah, I, um, I, I don't really have much of a science background. So, it, so a lot of the technical terms, you know, I've been learning on the fly, really. But, um, but, but just being part of it gives a real purpose to, you know, some of us just, you know, I really love the fishing aspect of it. And that's what kind of draws us in. But then to have it, that extra step that, you know, we're out there, not only are we fishing for these special fish, but, but we're documenting and, and doing science that's, you know, changing the world and, and changing, you know, our immediate, like our, our state and our area, our region, you know, and helping these fish. So it's something that's really, really cool to be a part of. Um, you guys get de definitely helped definitely been a big was a big reason of why i wanted to stick around and keep coming back do you guys get anxious when you submit samples and you're waiting to get the results just curious or not really i'm just you know is it all about take getting you know accomplishing the mission and getting the sample or is it also waiting to hear you know what the data says i'm curious what you think i think it's i yeah i i think it's a, it's an excited feeling um, I think, you know, with, with science, um, and I try to teach this within my high school classes, you know, all the great scientists, you hear about their successes, but you don't hear about the tens and probably hundreds of failures that they have. And failures means that it just wasn't reaching their goal. Um, so I think that, you know, whether when we send in a sample, whether or not we get, you know, obviously we're looking for that, you know, really pure DNA. We're looking for DNA that hasn't been influenced by um, by the mass amounts of stocking that happens in New York. But uh, I think that, you know, when you, you find a fish and you sample it and you take a fin clip from it, you know, no matter what the result, it's, it's a success because you've learned more about that fish. So even if it's not our extremely, you know, our desired results, um, you know, we still learn something. And that's when you involve yourself in a scientific process, you're trying to answer a question. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I, I think there's a little bit of that anxiousness, but it's an excited anxiousness. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. wondering what's going to happen. And um, I think that, I, so it is, it's a, it's a really neat feeling. And then you get the results and you're, you know, you're excited to see what's going to happen. And uh, it's kind of like that old feeling of whether it was taking a test or something, get it done. You'd be like, boy, I wonder how I did trying out for a team, you know, whatever it may be. And uh, you're just so excited to get it back. And once you do, um, you know, no matter what happens, that always leads to the next thing, right? and see they're okay well we got this result so we need we now we need to go further and now we need to expand or now we need to change gears um so that that's it's an exciting process for sure yeah i get um i think i really get the most excited when you know we we are sampling somewhere absolutely brand new like uh this past fall i was on a uh, myself and one other member did a uh little recon mission to an area that we have a hypothesis on that could potentially um, hold some some genetically unique fish. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to get those results back because um, some of the other areas, you know, we, 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 for the most part, know kind of what we're getting, um, at least it seems in, in the past few years, but there are some surprises. So yeah, going somewhere brand new and, and sampling you know, on untested waters basically is, is really exciting for me. Mm -hmm. So next questions for you guys, and we're getting close to the end here. Ryan, keep going with this thought because why does it matter? You're a human. 
clearly we can do whatever we want to the environment, right? Why does it matter, right? You did this recon mission, you found you found fish, and then you you know why does it matter? Tell me, what's the principle of it in your in your gut and your heart? Their existence must matter, and then trying to trying to find out you know more about them, I'm sure matters too. Expand on that. If you want to think, you can hand over to Chris. Yeah, yeah, hand that over to Chris for a second. I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll, let, me, let me ponder that for a minute. Chris, this is, you know, this is a little bit about, you know, I know it's not necessarily our mission statement anymore to change the world and stuff, but I will, I will say that in general, I think that humans kind of poop all over the planet. So when we find brook trout, first of all, they're not, you know, uh, I'm, they're not some other species. I'm not going to try to hurt somebody's feelings and say that some others, whatever, I'm not going to name it. They're trout. These are, these are fish that need to live in clean, cold, you know, water. So when they're found, that says something. Um, and I, in general, believe that I'm, I'm hoping that the next generations, me being a father, trying to instill thoughts on my own children, that we have to do stuff to change the world. Um, Again, the question, why does it, why does it matter? Why does it feel good if you catch fish that are in some, what you believe is wild place? So I, I've, I think in terms of why it matters, um, I, I, I'll answer it on, on two levels. One level is that, you know, I, I think for, for the angler, um, I think they're first off for, for an angler, a trout fisherman specifically, um, you, you know, if you hook a trout, you can tell it about, I don't know, usually a couple seconds, whether that's a stocked fish or whether it's a wild fish, by the way that it fights, by the way that it looks when you get it to the net. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I think you'd probably be hard pressed to find many people say that they, they would prefer going fishing stock trout over wild fish, maybe because they're, I don't know, because they're a little bit easier sometimes. Um, so I think there's the mystique of just going and catching fish that are, that are, that are there because that's where they live. That's where they've been, not because someone came in and put them there. Um, I think that it shows that you're fishing in a pristine ecosystem, an ecosystem that's good enough to support that um, ecosystems that used to cover our countryside because we hadn't moved in yet. We hadn't invaded those areas. So it's in, in, in terms of just a proof of concept that's showing that although we do, as you said, and you know, you know where I stand on this, I agree with you. Um, we humans are, you know, we talk about invasive species. I truly believe we are, we are the invasive species. And um, so to see these areas, especially areas that we have personal connection with, areas that we love, to be able to see and really support the, you know, the notion that we haven't, we haven't ruined these places yet. Um, we haven't affected it enough to change the ecosystem that these, you know, wonderful creatures, um, that they, they aren't able to survive there. Uh, so I think it's, I think it, for me, me mentally, it's encouraging, <laughs> you know. Um, mm -hmm. It's encouraging to see these places and to find them and to know that they're still there. And because they're there, um, they're important. And, and that's what, you know, what we try to do is identify these places and then figure out how can we, you know, how can we show people these places are there so that, you know, they may never care in the same lens as we do as anglers or, um, you know, in terms of the brook trout that live there, but, you know, identifying these as pristine ecosystems. Um, I think that's, that's, you know, such a big piece to it. And um, the other thing in terms of why it's important is I think that, and this is where I'll, I'll put the, the science teacher hat on, um, even though I'm not supposed to wear hats at work, uh, is that, you know, from a science perspective, when, when you see species that are, you know, when their DNA hasn't been touched by stocking, then we can show that those, those fish are, you know, they're native fish, they've been there. So what they have in that DNA is that they have decades and decades and decades of evolutionary adaptation. Those fish have grown in that ecosystem, in that environment. Um, they have adapted to the changes that they've sustained over hundreds and thousands of years. Um, as we enter this period where our, our globe is changing, and I know that's a big buzz thing, but global change is a concept that is um, pretty inarguable. We can talk climate, we can talk about all of this, but you know, we have over 7.6 billion people on this planet. The globe is changing. And when we look at these native species, um, they've been able to adapt to it. 
so there's things to be learned by studying them. When we have a year like we just had, um, where we have, you know, we have we have droughts throughout the Adirondacks that we just finally over the holidays got out of our, um, you know, moderate drought into ad- abnormally dry status. We can look at these fish and see how they respond. Um, why? Because th- th- they know what to do. They've they've been here longer than we have. They know how to survive in those environments. Um, and as further strain is put on the environment, as the environment changes, uh, being able to have native species and study them in their native environments and see how they respond and react, um, I think, so, you know, gives us a lot of information and, and information in different contexts. So um, from the science perspective, you know, the gen- genetic analysis is fantastic, but then identifying these fish and then studying how they react to, you know, maybe changes in water quality, whether that's temperature or looking at chemical components. Uh, There's a tremendous amount to be learned by studying, you know, wild and native fish. Um, So there's, there's, and I could answer more to that why it's important, but those Mm -hmm. are the two big pieces that I think is that there, um, there's a lot of importance there. And mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's partly our organization's role to identify the importance, but not just identify it and then keep it, you know, in our, in our group, um, but to expand on that into the public and to show and, and to explain to people why it's important and how we can learn from these fish. I think that, I think we can learn a lot from them. Sure. Ryan, you've had time to contemplate. Got anything? Yeah, yeah. Chris brought up some some great points and and kind of <laughs> yeah, did, and, did. and expand on it. The uh, uh, brook trout. I mean, they're they're really the canary in the coal mine. You know, if something is is wrong or off with the ecosystem, you know, they're an indicator species. They'll be the first to you know be to be gone, disappear. And you know, we've we've seen that in the Adirondacks and in the area. And uh, we're actually lucky enough to even document you know <clears throat> one area of one our watershed of a study um, area of interest that you know at one point the ph levels were so out of whack and you know it was thought to be almost a dead watershed and then there's there's dozens of lakes and ponds and, and areas just like it across the state and um sort of to to, to go to these areas that you know maybe we've even that others have even given up on and to see that you know the, they're there they survived and then to find out that they're you know untouched and, and pure dna you know that that stems that they're truly really wild and i think we can you know, by studying them we can learn learn from it and 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 protect and and you know there's not many places like that left really and you know we're we're lucky to have these places so close that we can enjoy them, and and work to protect protect them. So last question for you guys: you're you're the new leadership in the organization, and I was curious if you, you know, this is um, not something you've had time to think about, but if you had to visualize the future of the organization as well as uh, your own vision of where you think things should go or, go or are going to go. What is, what is trout power 10 years or 20 years from now? For, for me, um, when I think about the future of, of trout power, I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty dynamic. Um, when, when I think about, you know, what trout power has done, um, and what it continues to do and what it will do. I think that the foundation is there to continue what we've done, but I think also that foundation, you know, a foundation is just that it's something to build upon, right? It's something to expand upon. Um, I think that, you know, one thing that trout power can do, and I know it's done it for me is it's, you know, Ryan talked about, you know, how trout power has been able to, um, you know, kind of measure some resilience in fish and ecosystems in terms of recovery um, from, you know, from acid rain and acid deposition. So first off, I think that it, you know, instills some hope. I know it does for me, um, especially when we see what we're doing to the planet and understanding that, you know, if we, if we have correct policy, if we have correct management, we can mitigate that, or we can, you know, not only mitigate it, but we can help it to recover. 
so I think that, you know, I think part of Trout Power's future is going to be expanding on that. Um, it's going to be, you know, spreading that message, hopefully influencing, you know, other organizations to do what we've done um, in their own areas and go and see what's out there. And if we can influence people in that respect, um, you know, whether it's, you know, grassroots organizations like we have, whether it's, you know, scientists who can use our data and some of the things that we're working on, um, you know, I think that we're going to have a, a future in, in a number of different contexts, both a scientific context, um, in a in inspiration context. And, um, you know, I think it's our job to continue to do what we've done, but then show people that and um, show them, you know, like you said, Jordan, why it's important and, you know, how they can take that, that hope um, and take what we've done and, you know, use it and use it for good. Uh, like I said, whether it's science-based or, um, you know, from just being a volunteer for something that you believe in, uh, I think that, you know, Trout Power's got a long future ahead of it as, as both a, you know, a fishing organization, a science organization, a conservation organization. And um, I, I personally think uh, as amazing as what this organization has done, um, and it is, I, I think that there's, I think it's only the start. I think it's only the beginning. I think there's a long way to go. Um, and time is of the essence, right? So we, we, it's, there's a long way to go and there's, there's no, uh, there's no time to waste. So, um, yeah. so, which is, which is exciting. So that's, that's what, that's what I see. I see a strong organization with a strong group behind it. And um, it's, uh, we're going to, we're going to get some great stuff done. Right. Yeah. I, I think the sky's the limit really um, right now, you know, we, we are a board, a board of 10 members and then some, some, a lot of them serve on different committees and we have various other, other people on committees, non-board members, you know, I think typically a typical event uh, under normal circumstances, we have 20 to 30 people, volunteers come for a weekend. Um, I think, you know, we have that core group that keeps coming, but we're always adding new people. And, and I think there's the chance to grow even, even more than what we have in the past few years. Um, I get messages all the time through social media from people saying, you know, wow, I'm so glad I found Trout Power. This is, this looks like such a great organization. What can I do to help? How can I help? I want to get involved. And that's awesome to see. I think as the sport of fishing and, and fly fishing in particular continues to grow and more and more anglers are, you know, becoming attached to, to our, our resource and these fish that we care so much about more and more see that there's so much to do mm -hmm. and that they, you know, they're willing to join in on organizations much like we have. So yeah, I, I see a lot more, a lot more influence. So in closing you guys, when I founded the organization, I thought that, you know, the, the, um, the energy behind it and the catalyst was trying to save what trout were left that needed to be saved. And now in speaking with you guys, believe it or not, in this last uh, 49 minutes, I actually have had an epiphany myself that I am realizing that the, the species that needs to be saved is us. And that, and that the fish actually will, they'll do just about, they'll, they'll, they'll perform miracles to, to survive. And that they actually are the ones that are saving us, so to speak, in regards to the people that want to get involved to see them, to try to find them, to exert energy to be outside. Uh, you know, they're the, they are the catalyst still, but the species that needs saving is actually maybe us. So, um, I really, uh, you know, it's interesting because with these in the scene podcasts, the more that I do them, there's this moment kind of, of epiphany closure, whatever you want to call it towards the end of the, of the discussion where I realize where this whole thing is going. That is my take on this. Um, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but, 
in thinking about what you guys have said, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely, it does. It's pretty, it's, pre- it's pretty neat. So being being the host and also the guy that started this whole thing, it's pretty interesting that I've seen the light. You know, kind of like uh, kind of like Jake and Blues Brothers. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so, um, guys, what a what a great experience to be able to talk with both of you on a podcast um and and let me just say thank you both for being part of the organization and doing everything you you do and stepping up and keeping it going i appreciate it i know the fish appreciate it and and as ryan has stated it sounds as though we are a glimmer of inspiration to other people that that want to get involved with us and that we're doing something good and positive. So thank you for taking the time to do it. No, thanks for, thanks for having us, Jordan. I can say quite confidently that we wouldn't be here without you because there would be no trout power without you. So you should you can give yourself some, some credit for being the founder and longtime president and, uh, and still a very active and important member. And we're, uh, we're just all of us. We've got a great leadership group. Just, it's not just me and Ryan. We've got a great group of people who are, who are working hard for, you know, for these fish and um, for all of us. So thanks for having us and thanks for giving us some time to talk about the organization. And uh, You're very welcome. Great. You're very welcome. Ryan, anything? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jordan, for having us on. Um, you got thanks it. again for you got everything you did for Trout Power. Yeah, well, listen, Mark, listen, write this down. There's no review mirrors on rockets. We're going nowhere but forward. So I appreciate you guys talking about the past, but... Let's focus on the future, okay? So thank you. And you guys are the future. So thank you very much for that. Thanks for being on In the Seam. Have a great night, you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jordan. See ya.